Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 121 of Conquering Columbus. Definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode today. We've got Aaron Neely and Abby David, co-founders and co-executive directors of the Bridgeway Academy, joining us to talk about their story, how they got to where they are, and everything they're doing today to help children and families with special needs. Before we get to that, I want to take a quick moment, as usual, to thank all the incredible sponsors and supporters here at Conquering Columbus. So I'm going to kick it over to Josh to tell you a little more about our first sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. I'd also like to give a shout out to Molly Ross. Molly Ross is an independent designer who focuses on branding and web design. She wants to connect with you, hear your story, and partner to create something beautiful that will help your business be more successful. If you'd like to check out some of Molly's work or connect with her, you can go to mollyross.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. We've got some great guests joining us today. We've got Miss Abby David and Miss Erin Neely co-founders and co-executive directors at Bridgeway Academy, and by trade, Abby is a speech-language pathologist, and Aaron is a music therapist. In the early 2000s, they were both operating their own small private therapy practices for kids with special needs in central Ohio, and would occasionally cross paths in the industry. 
They saw families struggling to find quality services for their kids because geographically providers were spread out all over town and families who were already drained financially and emotionally were spending too much valuable time trying to navigate a complicated system to find the best education and treatments for their children. And to help families find a centered approach to services, Abby and Aaron founded Bridgeway Academy in 2005 with just 12 students, and the organization has been expanding ever since. Today, Bridgeway Academy helps over 190 students through innovative solutions, and we're really excited to have them here on the show. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, and, and you know what? Let's, let's start just so everybody knows who we're talking to. Have you introduce yourselves a little bit so they know who's, who's who. Okay, well, I'm Abby David. And I'm the speech-language pathologist and co-founder of Bridgeway Academy. And I'm Erin Neely. I'm a, technically a music therapist, I guess, and co-executive director and co-founder of Bridgeway as well. Perfect. And so how's your guys' day going so far? It's going really well. We're really excited to be here. This is something brand new to both of us, so you'll have to kind of bear with us. Um, we are not on the radio or... <laughs> TV, TV very often. often and so this is exciting that we get to participate so thanks for having us yeah I'm excited too it seems like it's gonna be a lot of fun so uh, we kind of like to take a step back initially you know and maybe go back to before you guys even met like what brought you to speech language pathology and music therapy kind of maybe a little bit about childhood school how you got to where you are sure you know growing up I I lived in a very typical family I have a older brother. I'm actually from um, Pickerington, Ohio, so I'm from the area. Um, but I always loved, I've always loved working with kids. So I used to babysit when I was younger, you know, to make money and always knew that I had a passion about working with children. And um, when I went to college, I went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison and just really fell in love with special needs population. Originally thought that maybe I was going to go into physical therapy thought about special ed and then landed on um, speech pathology. I love the content. Um, I love to talk. So that was really a really good place for me to be. But actually, when I was out in Wisconsin, I worked for something called the Wisconsin Early Autism Program and really fell in love with the population and working with students um, who had maybe some major um, significant communication difficulties and really fell, it, that felt that was my place to be and to work with the students. So that's kind of how I fell into being a speech pathologist. I have a little bit of a similar journey in that I also grew up kind of in a traditional family here in Columbus. I actually was born and raised in Columbus, went to Columbus City Schools. And uh, my parents are both educators and I, loved kids growing up, thought I was going to go into education or psychology, child psychology was something I looked at, but I also had music as a huge part of my life growing up. My parents are both musicians, and so music was just kind of embedded in our culture and our home, and um, so I also was interested in pursuing music education, and when I was in high school, somebody read an article in the paper or on, saw something on 60 Minutes and came in and said, I found the perfect profession for you. And it was music therapy, and I had never heard of it, and I started researching in high school. 
and uh, found out that there were only a few programs in Ohio as far as universities that offered music therapy as a degree. And so I started to pursue those opportunities and ended up at the University of Dayton in their music therapy program. And so I studied voice and piano and guitar and continued playing flute throughout college. Um, it was a very rigorous program, but I really enjoyed it. And I really thought I would end up in, after all my work there, in a hospital setting, um, in a children's hospital specifically. But I started, similar to Abby, working with a program, in a, in a home program with a child with autism um, when I was pretty young, my first couple years of college, and really fell in love with um, working with that child and then added more kids to my caseload and slowly continued to grow um, and knew that I wanted to incorporate special education into my music therapy practice in some way. So that's kind of how I ended up in this area. I always think it's funny, though, to go back to think about when we tell our stories to people because we f I forget about where we both came from. And so when you were just talking about that, I mean, I do. I come from a long line of educators as well. Um, and I actually have a lot of my family now who are also working within um, the autism um, community um, in, like, Cleveland, Ohio. And so it's been nice to see, you know, when we all get – and actually in Las Vegas. So it's really nice to see when we get together and thinking about where our backgrounds were. It, it was always – obviously a really big um, uh, importance to our families about you know giving back and, and working with kids so yeah yeah that's a great foundation for us to start off of I'm curious before we dive in too deeper what exactly entails music therapy I'm sure you get that question a lot I do the same thing in my degree usually people and then they ask me how I use it and I say I don't but at least you use yours in some way so <laughs> not that's anymore but yeah so I started off using music therapy um, music therapy is actually um, like I said, it is a degree program. There's a board certification process that therapists go through. Um, and it's basically the use of music to um, work towards non-musical goals. So a lot of people think, oh, music therapy, you just you know, play uh, music on an iPod for people and make them feel happy. And it's definitely nothing like that, although recorded music is sometimes used. But we do a lot of hands-on music making, a lot of singing, songwriting, playing instruments. Um, specifically with kids on the spectrum, a lot of kids are really motivated by music. Some kids are actually very gifted musically. Um, and so we use that motivation to work on things that maybe not aren't quite as fun. Um, communication is something that kind of is naturally built into music, singing, and um, kind of built into our culture that if you hear the first part of a song, you kind of have this desire to finish off and resolve the chord or resolve the end of the song. And so we use that tool a lot in music therapy with our students. If you spend any time, are you familiar at all with like psychological aspects of it? Like, is there um, a lot of research behind what it does to the human brain? I'm assuming and there is a lot of research, and that's definitely not something that I've spent a lot of time doing. Is the research end? I've kind of looked more at the practicing end um, and the applying it, but there is a lot of research that music therapists are doing all the time to further the profession. Um, 
obviously there are different parts of our brain that are impacted by music and language and movement and something that's unique about music is that it's there are areas that are fired in different parts of the brain so you can sometimes train brains to do things using music that might not be as easy for someone so it's really used in a variety of professions not just children or in a variety of settings um, so in with hospice care with um, parent patients that are geriatric um, brain injury patients, um, individuals in a hospital setting. It's used um, in the NICU setting a lot to um, work on calming and um, helping infants as they continue to grow and develop. So it's kind of a cool field to be a part of. I was say, it's interesting. So maybe this whole playing Mozart for your baby has something to it. <laughs> um, but what I want to talk about next is kind of jump into, you know, you're both working kind of in the same space, the same area here in Columbus, maybe bump into each other a couple of times, but when does, you know, when do you first have like a real conversation like, hey, you know, maybe we can do something together here? Yeah, I mean, so it started back in, what, 2003, 2004, I think is when we really started meeting up. So Aaron and I each had private practices in um, the Columbus area, and, um, you know, when I started out, I started off in the school system and really felt like there was much more that I could be giving back to my kids, you know, as a speech therapist, seeing you know, my caseload could be up to 70 to 80 kids at a time. So I was, um, you know, I, I was seeing kids for 10 minutes a week if, and I really felt like this wasn't for me. So that's kind of why I went out and did private therapy because I knew I could help so many more students if I got to see them for longer lengths of time. So working in their homes and working in, um, and sometimes some of the kids in their schools, they'd let me come in and see the kids there. But we started crossing paths at the houses. So I might be coming in for speech therapy while Aaron was leaving for music therapy. And um, the next thing you know, we started showing up at some of our team meetings for our families together and listening to each other talk during those meetings and providing ideas and thoughts. We realized, wow, we have the same ideas and philosophies about working with children with special needs, specifically also with children with autism. And so Aaron, actually reached out and said, hey, I think we could probably be doing something more together, you know, as speech therapist and as a music therapist, like doing some co-treats, some socialization. And so we started off doing a couple groups together a week. Eventually it led, I think, into the summer where we did seven in a day <laughs> together. And so it kind of just grew from there. And then that's where we started talking about what could we do on a larger scale. I don't know if it was seven in one day. I feel like <laughs> it, it might was. have been in over two days, <laughs> but we definitely were very busy, and we started to see a lot of results from working together and bringing kids in as in small groups and kind of focusing on speech therapy and music therapy goals simultaneously um, and socialization as one of our main focuses, and we saw a lot of success um, with those groups. And what do those sessions look like? Like what kind of activities are taking place and how many people are in the groups? Like what does that breakdown look like? Yeah, so they started out with, we probably had like four to five identified students, but then we'd also have, our goal was each kid to have also a peer model with them as well. So we'd have four to five typically developing peer models. Um, and we usually would have like a theme of the week and all of our activities. So we would start off and do like large group together Man, it's taking us back because it's been a while since we've done this. We would um, do like a large group together and kind of set the scene, and then we would split up and have um, half the group go with Aaron and half the group come with me, and then we'd switch halfway through 
and then we come back together and we close and where we do some another large activity together and then um, close for the day and those sessions were about an hour and a half is what we did and when we started out we actually they still utilized a lot of our models it's still being utilized some throughout our um, with our music therapists and speech therapists today but that model really um, was kind of our takeoff point when we started with that model you know what how did you come up with that style I mean, what did you guys did you guys game plan it together did is it something that you know is, has been studied and shown like hey this is an effective model how did you come up with the, the strategy you know there was some emerging research about using typical peer models and in, in a peer buddy type of setting and so there were some schools that were using that around the country and um, really focusing on helping our kids to listen to someone that's not an adult um, one thing that happens a lot in the special education setting is kind of an isolation of students and they work a lot with therapists and teachers and they might work one-on-one -on -one. and so they hear a lot of kind of direct commands or direct instructions and they don't end up getting to learn from other types of people. And so when they go out in the community, we would find that students would only respond to a teacher or a therapist, and when kids would come up to them on the playground, they would completely ignore them or not know how to respond. And so there's a, there was some research that was emerging about using peer models to help teach communication and play skills and social skills um, because a lot of our kids need to be taught some of those simple things that typically developing kids will pick up from their environment naturally. And so we really focused on teaching those skills in that setting um, so that our kids would know how to respond when someone tapped them on the shoulder or when someone said their name or asked them a question or asked them their name. So a lot of that was kind of rote teaching that we did, but it was based on research and kind of the development in the field at that time. It looks like the ultimate end goal, <clears throat> excuse me, there is just to make uh, socialization more fluent among people with special needs then, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. And then when you first um, embark on, you know, like relationship in your groups or your individuals that you're working with, like what does that look like? Because um, when it comes to certain special needs, and I say this from a naive standpoint because I've never been familiar with the situation, I assume that they probably bond more with their parents or something like that, and then strangers might be tougher to develop relationships with. So. What does that look like for you when you first embark in a relationship with a student or somebody that you're working with? We do a lot with just trying to get down to their level and find out what makes them happy, what makes them tick, um, what's motivating, and it really is so individualized. Just like for you and I, we're interested in different things and our kids and students are interested in unique things. Some of them are um, motivated by um, something that they might have seen on TV and another student might be motivated on more of like physical interactions. And so it really is so much about just building that rapport and building a relationship just like you would with any person. Um, it just sometimes takes a little bit more time and effort with our kids. Yeah, you also, you can't be afraid to be silly and to be goofy because some for some of our students, that's what it is. I mean, I remember walking into a house one time working with a student and I left there every day for like a week sweating. Like I was like, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, I'm like, I, I've got to figure this out. And I did like the silliest thing. Like I started like singing a song and being a big goofball. And the next thing you know, the kiddo started laughing. And then from that moment on, he started, he would interact with me. And we got a lot of language and communication that way. So you just can't be afraid to, 
you know, just let it go and be silly and have fun with it because the kids are fun and they like you to be fun as well. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it would be a pretty rewarding experience in terms of when you're finally able to kind of crack that shell and, and get a kid to open up with you. But um, kind of what I want to move into is, you know, you have these classes going, but is that Bridgeway Academy? Was that the start? But when does it become Bridgeway Academy? When do you decide, hey, I think we're onto something here. We might need to form a school. And what timeline are we working off? Like right, how many yeah. years ago yeah. is this? So in, at the end of 2004, we had been running groups probably for about a year together. I had uh, some employees that were working with me and, and a clinic that we were working out of, and, and, and Abby would come and do some co-treating there. Um, but at the end of 2004, we found out that some of our funding that was the source of funding to provide therapies for a lot of our clients was at risk um, for being taken away by the county. And so we started to really talk seriously. We had talked before sort of in a dreamlike state of, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a school and a therapy center where our families could have all their needs met. Um, but until we found out about that funding being potentially cut and me as a music therapist, knowing that I was gonna be on the chopping block first <laughs> because music therapy has the least amount of time being a therapy kind of in the field. And so I was pretty motivated to make sure that my employees could stay employed and that my clients could stay receiving this therapy that I felt was so important. And so we started to really talk at the end of 2004 and the beginning of 2005 about what we could create. Um, and I think in February of 2005 is when we actually sat down and started to really say, okay, this is, this is gonna happen. Um, we're gonna move forward with this and started to talk to potential partners in the area and really start to make those plans. So, yeah, so I think it was in February when we found out some of the funding did get taken get away. And so, um, so that was February and we opened our doors in August. <laughs> So, so um, the most, the biggest planning happened between February and August, and so luckily we had a, a, a families, a number of families who we had been working with, and they kind of took the leap of faith with us, and they jumped into this endeavor of okay, I, you know, we've worked with you guys long enough, we've seen the work that you've been doing with our kids, I, we want to see it on a, a, a grander scale, and so, um, yeah, so it was a very quick opening for sure. So when February hits, you realize the funding's been cut. The talks up until that point, have they still been kind of just like fantasies, like visions that you had? And then at that point, it probably became real. Mm -hmm. So from the point it becomes real, what do the conversations look like with partners when you're approaching someone? They probably want to know, okay, what's the structure? What's going to look like at a granular level? Like, it starts to become a lot more uh, concrete, I guess, at that point. Yeah. We really started to think about space because I was renting space for my clinic in the basement of an office building in downtown Worthington. And we knew that that would not work for us education and therapy center. Um, so we started to actively pursue um, space that would, what we thought would meet our needs. Um, we started to pursue talking to staff members that could serve as teachers. Um, and we had a network from working in with families and with home teams and um, really had, like Abby said, built a lot of trust with our clients. So that caused them to kind of want to come along in this journey with us. Um, we had really good reputations in the community, which helped. Um, we ended up uh, acquiring a, an old farmhouse in downtown Worthington <laughs> that we um, 
proceeded to paint in a weekend and started to move into that summer in, I think, in May of 2005. And we started to run our groups in the summer out of that space and started to interview staff members to serve as teachers and started assessing clients in that space. And we started to realize that the space really was not what we needed. And then, you know, we got just the best gift ever by one of Abby's former clients that called and said, um, hey, Worthington City Schools is looking to lease part of their space. I heard that you were embarking on this school and wondered if you were interested. And we said, absolutely. We went to look at it. And um, the rest is kind of history with that yeah. space. <laughs> For some reason, some somebody wanted us to do this because at the, it really felt like things at the beginning fell into place how they were supposed to. It, I mean, it was the most random call. It was the most random how some of the things along the way happened, just how, um, you know, from financially to the space to everything there, it just kind of fell into place like it was meant to be. So the space, I mean, you secure that, but then still is there other talks around leasing and paying for the funding for the long term like how how far are you mapping this vision and and what does that look like for you guys i would not say our business plan was very good (laughs) i would call it non-existent um you know i mean we had some sense of what we knew with some of our funding how much that was going to be and and you know obviously when we were hiring our employees we had talked about what what we were going to be able to offer and and what we're going to be able to do and we started thinking about okay we this isn't just a one-year adventure and we'll see how it goes we really started at that point. You know, we actually, you know, we did it in reverse. You know, it was kind of like everything fell into place and we made it happen. And then it was from there, it was like, okay, how are we going to sustain this for for as long as we can? So, true entrepreneur style of doing things. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, we put the plan in place after we started. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and we learned the hard way in some, yeah. in some instances. Very but much. I think it helped that we had both had small practices for a few years. We were confident enough in our services that we knew what we had was good and we knew what we were providing for our families was really quality. And all along, we always went back to what do our kids need? What's the model that's gonna support our kids and not necessarily what we need, not necessarily what's the easiest thing to do. Um, The easiest thing to do would have been to have group classrooms, which is what we initially set out to do, was having six or eight to 10 students in a classroom with three or four teachers. And what we found is that the families that were coming to us that needed services, their kids needed more than that. Their kids needed sometimes one-on-one support. And so we figured out a way to offer that um, and still try to keep costs down for families so it was affordable and provide therapies to help support our our revenues. Um, And are you ever imagining like at the beginning there where you know first, first couple years, 190 students plus. Uh, you know what's what, what's your plan when you're looking at it going like, hey, how many how many students were you thinking you would have to start? Abby always tells the story of when she went on maternity leave. Yeah. yeah so I yeah. So when I left, so I went on maternity leave in 2006. So I was pregnant with triplets. So I was gone for a while. Yes. <laughs> she basically <laughs> said, "Let's do this," and then she left me. I know. I was there for the first year. I was there for the first year, and. Um, so, and I, when I had to leave, I had to leave. Like, it was like, I went in and basically were like, you cannot go back to work. So from, so that was March. And so I'm gonna come back to work in August at this point. And I get a call from Erin and she's like, so, 
hey, just want you to know we grew a little while you were gone. I'm like, okay, what what's a little? So I think by, when I left, we were at how many? Still, like 18 to 20? Probably. And when I came back, we were at 65. <laughs> that's, that's a little. Oh, right. When you triple, that's a little. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was like, oh, my, this is this is going to be great. So I walked into this space, and, like, I came back in August, and I'm like, who are any of you? Like, I didn't know any of the employees, you know, because I hadn't been there to hire or whatnot. So, um, yeah, it was a little crazy. And, and what happened was that we grew there – we eventually, we did grow, I think, at one point to about 75, 80-plus kids, and then we decided to come back down for a little bit because our goal has always been, like Aaron stated earlier, was always about the kids. And when we started losing track of our families and our kids, like we didn't feel like we were got to know them and we weren't making some of those decisions with them and at, along that journey, especially early on, that was really, really important before we had all the right people in the right seats, right? And so it was us leading that charge I would say um, we said okay what are we going to do right now so for a while we kind of went on a um, like a freeze where we didn't um, increase by students and um, we just focused on our program to make sure it stayed the highest and best quality it could be and so that's always stayed with us and from even though we've grown we've always maintained that that is really really important to us is that we have the highest quality and that it doesn't jeopardize for the kids and what was and what continues to have what continues to has been, that's not the right word. <laughs> what continues to be, I think, is what I'm going for, the growth source for you guys. Has it been organic, word of mouth? People are um, seeing great results from people and students that you're working with. Yeah. It goes from there. We have not really done any marketing or advertising, um, and it we haven't needed to. We've consistently have wait lists for probably the last six to ten years. Um, this is our 14th school year that we're operating right now. And, um, yeah, it's word of mouth. There's definitely a growing need in the community. And so, yeah, we don't need to really advertise. Yeah, I'd say our biggest thing right now is for families to, to know, you know, we tend to run on a waiting list and stuff, but we also offer therapy-only services. And I think that's, a, like, an area where – People just think that if you aren't in our educational program that you can't utilize our therapies as well. So that has been something more we've been talking about recently about, hey, we have amazing, I mean, we have almost 40 therapists that just work for Bridgeway Academy, and that's with all our therapies. And so how do we make sure families know that you still can access these services that we obviously think are, we might be a little biased, the best in the city, but how do we let them know that you still can access these services even if your student is not in our program for educational services. And then what does the funding situation look like now? As much as you guys are allowed to talk about it, does it continue where you see funding for the, the foreseeable future and, and things are going well on that end? And are there ideas for more growth down the road? I know you say you have a wait list currently. Are you planning on expanding? We are planning on expanding. Um, we are a little bit limited right now by our buildings. Um, so last year we made the decision to expand from one building to two buildings and we split our program because we had grown so much um, from preschool through the 11th grade are the kind of age ranges that we were serving and to be all under one roof and crossing paths with little tiny preschoolers and big high school students was something that we were trying to avoid. And so we added a, a second building that we leased um, and moved our 
what we call our secondary school into that other space with fourth through 12th grade now. Um, and so we were able to expand a little bit at that time, um, but it's definitely our vision that we will be around 250 students in the next five to 10 years. Um, we feel like that's kind of a sweet spot in that it's a manageable number to kind of keep that relationship with families and students and staff. Um, and so that's at least the goal for the next five to 10 years. We'll see what happens after yeah. that. Right, you know, never know what we will do. But our funding has definitely over the years too has changed and um, increased, I would say, you know, we, there's something called the Autism Scholarship and our students qualify for that who have an autism diagnosis. And so it started off at $15,000 and then it went to $20,000 and then it went up to $27,000. So it's, you know, and that is in the, it's a budget line. So we don't foresee that going away. So asking about stability for that, that we feel that that funding will stay for a long, a long time. Um, but it's always about, you know, we still have, it, it definitely costs, Way more than twenty-seven thousand dollars a year to educate um, our students, and so, but going back always like for those increases and how to make sure that those are occurring and making sure that happens. So, you know, we, we're working with the right people to help make sure that those items um, will continue to expand as the need. Because we still, you know, we want to pay our teachers and our therapists and make sure that they get the best services as well. So, um, so we foresee some of that staying around, but it, it's always a question um, when it comes to some of our other funding sources, you know, like what happened back in 2005 when, when services have gotten cut for um, some other funding, you, those are, aren't out in our control. And so, you know, those are always in question. There's always the concern that with changes in the government, there are going to be changes to our funding. And so we try to always be kind of prepared and flexible to change our model as the changes happen in the funding. Um, but one big challenge is that our therapy funding source, that's kind of our biggest source of funding, has been the same rate since before we started Bridgeway Academy. Um, and so, it, kind of learning how to navigate that. We have therapists that have been with us for 10 plus years. They obviously need to have increases in salaries, but it gets more and more challenging to do that because the funding stays the same. So we try to be creative. We try to be able to kind of move quickly with what's happening in the community. And, and how do you go about fixing something like that like in terms of, you know, getting the word about? Do you need to get people to vote? Is it a levy issue? Kind of what's the... What's the process for getting that raised? So a, a few years ago when Autism Scholarship, now for the, our, our therapy funding, that's a whole another ball game. And, and for that, like for instance, in the nonprofit world, we can work with a lobbyist who we, we do work with a lobbyist who can help on our behalf and we can provide the data and, and show the research and all that kind of stuff to get some people to make this in the forefront because that's the problem. Nobody's really making some of that stuff in the forefront for like autism scholarship for those increases, that came from, we went down to the state house and we did a lot of advocating, but the people who were really instrumental this last time for that change were the parents. And they went down because it affects them the most, you know, and so out-of-pocket expenses for our families and the need for their students um, grows. And so we went down, of course, and we advocated and we worked with, and there was lobbyists that worked there too, and um, but 
instrumental in the last time was the parents. This upcoming time, we definitely are working on so that we don't have to keep going down every five years to have those increases. Those should be natural increases. So, you know, working together um, with our senators and representatives to make that happen. Absolutely. And so how have your roles changed over time, right? I mean, it seems like you, you both like to be really one-on-one -on -one and personal with your clients, but with over 190 students, I'm sure that gets more and more difficult every day. So what's your day-to-day -day look like today compared to what it was when you started, and, and how have your really responsibilities changed over time? They've definitely evolved. <laughs> um, you know, the first few years that we started, we actually started as Helping Hands Center for Special Needs. Um, and because of our growth, we decided to change the name uh, to Bridgeway Academy. Um, but really, when we first started, we were hands on deck all the time. And uh, we were the substitute teachers. We were going in and doing programming. We were doing therapy so, yeah, clients. Um, with clients for several years through that because we needed to generate revenue and we needed to be part of those teams. Um, and slowly, we were able to start hiring people to come in and help lead um, while we focused on growing the program, building the right infrastructure to support all of our families and staff, um, hiring in the right people to, you know, do HR. For a long time, Abby and I were doing payroll, sitting on the floor by hand, <laughs> um, and realizing that there are systems that we can put into place to help with that. Um, so a lot of that growth just required us to, to continue to keep stepping back, still with the vision and the goal to maintain best practice for all of our staff and all of the things that we were providing. Um, but now we're working with a board of trustees, we're working to develop donors and relationships in the community and kind of plan so that Bridgeway has a strong future. Um, and really even thinking about succession for when Abby and I aren't there, we would love to continue to see Bridgeway Academy be successful um, and continue. Yeah, so I think you know, that gives us a really good story and a lot of a great background into your team and your environment. Um, kind of as we wrap up here, one of the last things I want to ask about before our last question is <laughs> what do you two see the future look like for Bridgeway Academy? I know you talked about adding up to 250 students, but um, other changes that you might see in the future, and what do both of your futures look like? So we for sure, we really found that being together is is our power. Like, you know, we really feel like we are, we have so much knowledge between our two buildings, between our amazing staff and all the people that are in it. We just wish we could all be back together again. So um, it is really important for us that in the near future we do find our, what we call our forever home so that we can have a space first of all that our kids deserve like we really want a space that our kids um, can learn and grow from and be really successful as well as our amazing staff like they are they're they're truly um, what help what makes Ridgeway Academy tick and what it is today so um, we definitely see ourselves being together back on this campus and you know broken up into probably different wings or different sections so that our kids still are with the right age groups. So that is, for that, we see that growing, like we said, to 250 students, but we also see that our therapy will, um, departments will grow and continue to grow. That's really an area that we see as even maybe some larger growth for them as well. Um, and then, I don't know if you have anything to add on to that before talking about my future for me. <laughs> 
Um, just that one of the biggest challenges has been along this journey has been finding the right space to meet the needs of our students, continuing to grow with them and um, provide safe places for them to learn and for our staff to um, provide the best services that they can. And so that's really a challenge that we're hoping in the pretty short term to overcome. We're hoping to acquire a building space and a campus space that we can all come back together and really set up Bridgeway Academy for success in the future, something that will last a long time and we can grow into. Yeah. So, future? Yeah, personal future. Let's get into that. <laughs> personal future. Well, um, you know, I always feel that I will always be a part of Bridgeway Academy forever. You know, we've We've started talking about, like Aaron said, the secession of for when we're we're not there and we retire and do our own things. And but what we want to leave back is our legacies of of not just being the founders, but what we really believe in and obviously strongly believe in. So we've talked a lot about that between us. Um, you know, I personally, I um, we we want to retire and go to wine country and um, you know live up there. But you know, I don't see that for. A number of years happening for sure but obviously you know I have triplet boys and I want to make sure that they're happy and healthy and that they go to school and are successful as well so that's definitely the future but at Bridgeway is always there it's always gonna be part of it yeah I haven't really thought about a future that doesn't include Bridgeway Academy in some way um, I think that eventually I'll retire and you know Abby's a few years older than I am so we always talk about that. Aaron always talks about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, to put that one in there um, but but we have hobbies we have other things that we are involved in and we have family is something that's really important to both of us and um, I have two daughters and um, just watching them grow up and making sure that I can try to have some semblance of balance in their lives is important to me. And so um, just continue to grow with Bridgeway Academy and um, knowing that we continue to grow professionally um, has been really enlightening, especially over the last couple of years as we've kind of adjusted to the change in our roles and um, realize that, you know, we're not going to be done, even if we attain a building and a new property and go through the next few years and what that looks like, we're still going to continue to try to grow professionally and personally to be the best people that we can be and be role models for our kids, I think. Well, that's a good answer and I think it's a great place to pivot towards our last question of the show, which is centered around the theme of conquering Columbus, live uncomfortably, and I'm interested to hear what you both have to say on it. but. What do you think of when you hear the phrase and how does it apply to your lives and careers? And maybe we'll start with Aaron on this one. So I, I really kind of, reson that resonates with me because so much of what we've done with Bridgeway Academy has been kind of a state, taking a step of faith and responding to a need without really thinking about it first, um, which to some people sounds really crazy and risky, um, but I feel like that's how you end up getting some of the greatest outcomes in life is by trying things that other people might say is crazy or too risky. 
Um, and so I think if you have that kind of vulnerability about yourself and being willing to try things and being willing to put yourself out there, even if it is a little bit uncomfortable, people respond to that. And I think that's why we've had our staff respond so well and really come aboard this journey with us because they see us being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to make mistakes and put ourselves out there. And at the end of the day, we always try to bring the focus back to the kids and what's the most important. And Abby? You know, I um, agree. I grew up with, um, my dad's an entrepreneur, and so, you know, and his businesses didn't always work, and, and he, he did. They, they, there's a couple of them that, that failed along the way, but he still took the risk, and he always still took the chances to make that happen, and so I think for me, I always learned that um, you, you need to try. Like, there's no reason why you shouldn't go out and try. Yeah, you might, you might fail, and, and it's okay, because I think my my dad set that up as an example that it was okay because he still persevered and he still moved on and he still made things happen. And honestly, the best things happen when you live uncomfortably and when you try those things that people might say, oh, I can't believe you're going to do that. Like, and well, why not? The biggest thing is it couldn't. Or the worst thing could happen is that it doesn't work. Or the best things could happen like what happened with Bridgeway Academy where we're changing lives of our students and um, have amazing people who are on that journey with us and, and took that along the way with them. So um, I think I've always just kind of said, I'm going to do these things and, and make it happen. So living uncomfortably is I kind of just grew up with it. <laughs> so Yeah, well, Abby, Aaron, thanks a lot for joining us today. We've had a lot of fun. Hope, hope you both enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having great. us. Yeah. And Conquerors, thanks a lot for listening. If you guys want to help support Bridgeway Academy or if you know of a great, a great space for them, uh, please leave a comment. Check out their links down in the show notes. And again, don't forget to like, share this episode if you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. I'd also like to give a shout out to Molly Ross. Molly Ross is an independent designer who focuses on branding and web design, she wants to connect with you, hear your story, and partner to create something beautiful that will help your business be more successful. 
you'd like to check out some of Molly's work or connect with her, you can go to mollyross.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.